It's kind of intimidating to come up here sometimes. Like, for example, today, you know, David gets up here and he's got that cool accent, right? You know, everyone's just like riveted, great, cool accent. He's all excited about everything. Then you've got all the cool kids, right, that are up here, the musicians. Everybody wants to be with the band. And then some old guy from the back of the room comes walking up on the platform, and you're like, oh, good night. Where's Jeff? <laughs> it's been a great summer for me. Uh, because I teach school, uh, the three reasons that I teach is June, July, and August. And uh, in June, my family on my father's side, they always have a reunion, they call it. And uh, I'm from the great state of Kentucky. That's where my roots are. And so I go back there, and, you know, it's always always a, a good time because of family. And let me encourage those of you that are young, you know, when you're, when you're young and you go and you see your relatives, they always say, oh, you've grown. Look how tall you are and things like that. They don't do that when you get older. <laughs> Instead, they look at you and go, wow, look how gray your hair is. And I always say, you know, I'm glad it turned gray and didn't turn loose. And, uh, but anyway, w- w- with my uh, in-law, with my family, w- we're talking, and one of the things that came up was blackberry picking. Have you ever done this before? When, we were, when, when I was a kid, that was something we did every summer, where we would go and we'd pick blackberries. And the reason we would do that is because my grandmother would then uh, make jelly, and we'd have blackberry jelly, and she would send it home with us, and we'd have blackberry jelly, and then come back and repeat the cycle. And I remember being told about going to pick blackberries, and being told, wow, that, it's so great, I can hardly wait, we get to get in the car, we get to drive, we get to go and we're outside and it's this field and it's just, we go into places we haven't been before and all that. And, and so the first time I went, I was so excited. Well, then when I get there, I get out of the car and my grandmother grabs me before I could get out. She goes, wait. And she begins to spray me down with whatever insecticide was around at that time, right? And then she began to say, now be careful, there's copperheads. So wherever you step, be careful. Don't go for the low ones, stay high. And whatever you do, don't eat the blackberries because there could be like bugs on them and then you'll get sick. And don't forget, when we get home, we're going to have to check you for ticks. And there's these things called chiggers that we're going to be looking for as well. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> this, this isn't exactly what I signed up for, right? I mean, I, I, I came to pick blackberries. I think sometimes in our Christian experience, when we... Uh, talk about following Christ. Sometimes we talk about picking the blackberries and we forget that along the way there are things that we have to be watchful. We have to be watchful of. We have to be careful of. You know, we we hear an exciting message about he will make your path straight and we get fired up and then all of a sudden we find out, well, it isn't that simple. It's a little more complex than that. There are some difficulties along the way. And this morning, what I would like for us to do is deal with some of those difficulties. And one of those difficulties that we oftentimes face is the difficulty of discouragement. We become discouraged as we proceed through our, our walk with Christ. And, and things happen, and we uh, just all of a sudden find ourselves kind of at the bottom looking up. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was that, that great missionary who was able to make great things happen throughout the world. 
And in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is in the city of Athens, which was the city of learning, the city of intellect, the city of, of all kinds of kind of uh, challenge to Paul and his great mind. And then in Acts chapter 18, he finds himself in the city of Corinth, a city which was synonymous with sin and immorality. He finds himself in that place. Now, you are students of the Bible, and you know the reputation of Corinth, but let me just remind you of a couple of things. The city of Corinth was a a city of trade and commerce. It was kind of a gateway to caravans and ships coming through, Um, lots of trade and activity. There was the great temple of Aphrodite that was in Corinth. And remember, the temple of Aphrodite had a thousand prostitutes that would go into the city at night to ply their trade. It was a city that, that, that the, the, the Greeks, they, they loved their plays, right? They loved to write their plays. And whenever a play was written and a character was from Corinth, he was always portrayed as a drunk or some immoral person in the play. That's the place where Paul finds himself. Paul, who had made kind of these gigantic strides through the vast reaches of Asia, he finds himself in this city where it was so bad that the church that was there, he had to write them two letters to try to straighten them out. And he finds himself there, and he becomes discouraged. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. The Apostle Paul was discouraged in his walk with the Lord. But the wonderful thing about the Apostle Paul for us is that when he went through these times, he found encouragement and he found ways to pull himself out of that discouragement. And he leaves it for us in the pages of Scripture. And so this morning, if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we will be able to see the three resources that God gives us to overcome discouragement. Three resources that God gives us to overcome discouragement. The first one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. The first resource that we have to get us out of and to overcome discouragement is the resource of the prayers of others. The prayers of others. The Apostle Paul says, your prayers are what supported us. Uh, Prayers that are important, that are vital, that are necessary. We need to pray. And please notice in this kind of context, it's praying for someone else. You know, we're pretty good about praying for ourselves, But Paul's saying, I need you to pray for me. Uh, To help me out of my discouragement, I needed your prayers. Uh, Intercessory prayer is a necessity. It's not a cliche. It's not a a pious platitude. Uh, The statement, I'll pray for you, should be changed to, I am praying for you. Uh, I know you, and so because I know you, our relationships include, I am praying for you. Uh, I'm not talking about the old, uh, you know, give me the details so I can pray more intelligently. 
which really means I'm nosy and I need some details here. But the reality of a heart that knows that it is before the king, uh, before the throne of grace, that change happens. It is because of our ability through prayer to move the hand of God in this sphere in which we find ourselves. It is that understanding that makes me say, I'm praying for you, that makes me say, I am doing what is a celestial privilege, and that is praying for you. You know, Paul had an obvious dependence on the prayers of others. And the churches he visited, he was dependent upon their prayers. The work of others, he was dependent upon their prayers. You see, oftentimes in life, what happens is we forget we're part of a supernatural program here. We get so, so earthbound, right? And we, we think, what earthbound thing can I do to bring about change? Instead of remembering what celestial power can I bring to bear on the circumstance that my friends find themselves in? Prayer is indeed the things that brings about the will of God in this world here and now. I had a professor, and he used to greet us like this. He used to say, I am, I do, I have. That's how he would greet us. And what he meant was, uh, I am praying, I do pray, I have prayed. And that's how he would greet us. What a wonderful reminder of what it is that God can do. Prayers for others is a way to get out of discouragement and to know that someone is doing that for you. Uh, I would encourage you uh, to, to do this thing called make a list. Make a list. And, and sometimes you feel, well, I, it's just so overwhelming. Divide the days of the week. You know, on Mondays, I'm going to pray for these. On Tuesdays, I'm going to pray for these. On Wednesday, I'm going to do this. Creating the opportunity for you to have an organized way to remind others that you're praying for them. And to encourage them. The Apostle Paul tells us one resource we have is the prayers of others. The second resource is found in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. 18 verse 1, it says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. In verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, New friends. The second resource that we have to get us out of discouragement is the presence of special friends the presence of special friends. Paul meets two new people, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, the way that it worked probably was in the synagogue, uh, the people sat according to how they worked. So like all the carpenters sat in one place, all the cooks sat in one place, all the bakers sat, and all the tent makers and things like that. And so that's probably where Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, and they clicked. And it's interesting, and this is completely aside from special friends, but do you notice what it says about Paul? It says Paul worked. Paul worked. Uh, I remember as a kid, there was a television show. Do any of you remember Red Skelton, the, the Red Skelton show? Remember his one character, Freddy the Freeloader? Paul was not Freddy the Freeloader. 
Paul was a tent maker, and tent making was not something as simple as we have today. You know, like if I go camping, you know, I kind of like just throw it out and the tent kind of goes up. You know, this is working with with hair and leather and just it was a difficult work. And Paul worked at it. He was not taking it easy. And that work ethic kind of drew him in with Aquila and Priscilla. And and they are believers who kind of bonded with him. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about them in four other books of the New Testament. And, And in one of the books, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about Aquila and Priscilla and their house church. And he says, go to it. You know, it's a great blessing. And so they became very close friends to him. And, and they were able to encourage him uh, to be there for him and to be there with him. And then in verse 5, uh, Timothy and Silas show up. These are old friends, people that he's known. They show up, and that changes the things that are happening. And, and notice what happens when Timothy and Silas show up. The text tells us uh, Paul then was able to devote himself exclusively preaching testifying and telling the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. I don't know what changed. Uh, Probably Timothy and Silas said, listen, Paul, we've got this. We need you to use your gift right now to do something else and to, to be a little more intense because of the circumstances. But whatever it was, Paul was willing to work, and he also had friends that came alongside of him and said, you know what, you're able to do this as well. And so Paul had special friends that came alongside of him, and these special friends made a difference for him, allowed him to push forward, to do what he needed to do. So obviously the question is, do you have a special friend? Or maybe more importantly, are you a special friend this morning? Uh, You you see, uh, when difficult times arise, uh, we need someone. Uh, Here's an old quote. It says, in times of prosperity, friends will be plenty. In times of adversity, not one in 20. Are you willing to show up? You you see, a special friend does not say, call me if you need something. A special friend does not say, maybe we can get together sometime. Instead, a special friend shows up because they know you and they understand what's happening. And so they're there for you. They're there in, in their presence. Uh, they show up. They don't talk about it. They do it. Uh, there was a 19th century preacher that you've heard of before, I'm sure. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And he said this, A man of words and not deeds is like a garden full of weeds. A special friend shows up. Are you showing up for someone? Do you have someone to show up with? Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, was a worker who found uh, solace in his work, but also satisfaction with those with whom he worked. Uh, They were able to come to him and to be there for him, to be a special friend during times of difficulties. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Uh, The easy thing is when times are great. The difficult thing is when times are tough. And Paul, for Paul, times were tough. And He had friends that showed up for him. Uh, Too many times we get confused, don't we? We think we have to be profound in order to be a special friend. We think we have to have something, you know, this, this great, magnificent nugget of knowledge or wisdom that we need to drop on someone. 
But sometimes when someone is going through a difficult time, they just need something ordinary, just an ordinary conversation, just an ordinary time together of doing something that perhaps is perfunctory to you but is not to them because they're going through this thing that's captured their minds. And unfortunately, you know, the Bible talks about the gift of encouragement. But nowhere in the Bible does it talk about the gift of criticism. And too many times that's what we grab hold of, isn't it? Uh, You remember the story of Job? We become Job's friends, right? We show up, what's wrong with you? What have you done wrong? (laughs) What's your problem? Instead of being the encourager that just shows up and just stands there and maybe in silence or maybe in something very simple, but finding a way to encourage. I was going through a particularly difficult time in my life, and a friend came to me, and I, I poured it all out. And I was expecting, you know, some great revelation. And when I concluded what I said, the guy looked at me and he said, you need to go to bed. You need to go to bed. Just get some sleep. He said, you will be surprised how different it will be tomorrow morning. Sometimes that's what we need, isn't it? To just walk up to someone and say, you know what, I'm just going to sit here and you just need to be quiet for a minute. And I'm going to be quiet with you. You know, we're talking about prayer and special friends. Uh, I I teach school and, and one of the things that I would encourage you as parents to put on your list is when you pray, pray for your student And pray for your student to find a special friend. Don't pray for them to be successful. Because when they find a special friend, they will be successful. Encourage yourself in the reality that when your student is discouraged, sometimes all they need is that one person to be with them. The Apostle Paul says we're coming out of this discouragement. We're working this through, and we overcome discouragement through the prayers of others and through the presence of special friends. And please notice the third thing that is shared with us here in Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. In Acts 18, verse 9, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. The third resource is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spurgeon again said this. He said, let it never be forgotten that when a man is down, he has the grand opportunity to trust in God. A false faith can only float in smooth water, but true faith, like a lifeboat, is at home in the storms. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ allows you to experience the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to pause here for just a moment. And we need to ask the question, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him? You see, Jesus Christ is the one that has saved us from our sin. Jesus Christ is the one that went to the cross for us. Do you know him? If you don't, today's the day. 
If you don't, now's the time. Because a personal relationship means you enjoy the person of Jesus Christ. Paul, excuse me, Paul understood, didn't he? The person of Jesus Christ. You see, a good relationship with Jesus Christ is that he's there with us. He bears with us in our trials. I, I, I used to do when I was a kid, we, I, I lived in church as a boy growing up. And the church that I went to, we would have you know, the uh, fall revival. We would have a January missions conference. We would have a spring revival. Uh, we would have a Bible conference in the summer. So we were always having speakers in. And I would take my Bible and ask them to autograph the front of my Bible. I mean, is that being a big nerd or what? But uh, I did that. And one time a guy took my Bible, and he didn't autograph it. Instead, he, he wrote in the front of my Bible, he said, a, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. That's what he wrote in the front of my Bible. And that's what happens with Paul here, right? Discouragement. Paul, your faith is being tested here. I have called you out of a life, and now I am asking you to do something for me, and things are not going well. In fact, you've been thrown out of the city. You have found out that it's not as easy as you thought it would be. And there is discouragement. And so now your faith is being tested. And so I'm going to help you through that by by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what happens in verse 9. First of all, there's a prohibition. The Lord says to him, do not be afraid. Literally, he's saying, stop being afraid. Stop it. That's, that's really foreign language to us, isn't it? We don't do that anymore. You know, now we don't say stop it or don't do that. Instead, it's, okay, now think about what you're doing, right? Look around you. See all the people that are there. I, I love family reunions. I, I, I come from a large family. I have three sisters, and their kids are married. There's like a 1,000 nieces and nephews. It's incredible. And I love millennial disciplining. Let's explain this now. You know, they've got the coat hanger. It's about to go into the socket. I'm going to explain to you why you don't do that. Instead of saying, stop, don't. (laughs) Paul says right here from the Lord, he says, stop being afraid, the Lord says. You see, Paul was dishonoring God by being afraid. Think about the disciples in John chapter 14. Remember in John 13, the disciples had found out that Jesus was leaving. They found out that uh, Peter, who was their rock, was going to betray Jesus. And they found out that someone was going to uh, be involved in, in this activity that will just send their lives into chaos. And there's all of this going on, and the disciples are, are out of their minds with fear. And what does the Lord say in John 14, verse 1? He says, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm I'm going to take care of you. You see, the reason why the Lord says stop being afraid is because he's not only going to take care of you, but he's going to bring you out of whatever it is you're going through better than you went into it. And so that's why he says stop it, because fear kills faith. And so the Lord is saying, you know, remember, stop being afraid. David in Psalm 23, what does he say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. Why isn't that? Why aren't you afraid? Well, because there's something more here. 
There's something more here, and that's found in verse 10. The something more is the presence of God. In verse 10 it says, For I am with you. God is with us. He is present. You say, that's too obvious, right? God's here. You see, we make a mistake, and, and I'm, I'm, I I'm, want to be very careful here because I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but we make a mistake by inviting and asking God to be with us. That's a mistake. What we need to do is apprehend it. We need to affirm it because he is always present. He's here. And sometimes we, 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 uh, that's such a basic thing, but it's important to affirm it and to realize it and to hold on to it. You see, it's the theology of the presence of God that we, we have, but it's the practicality of his presence affecting us and affirming that. He is with us. It should be comforting. It should be comforting to know that he is with us. If it's not comforting, then you need to ask yourself, what am I doing that I'm afraid he's going to see me do? Or why is it that I'm not comforted by his presence? Uh, the Lord is trying to teach Paul that he's there with him. Please notice the third thing that happens when the presence of the Lord is, is in our minds and the person of Jesus Christ shows up. In verse 10, he goes on to say this. Uh, first of all, he says, For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. He gives him protection in Acts 10, 18.10. God will provide protection for us. Now, please notice He's not saying there will be no pain. Paul's already experiencing the pain. Paul's already having the difficulty. What he's saying is, I'm going to protect you so that in the end, my purpose will be done. What's the purpose? I've got people there. I've got people in the city that need to hear the gospel. And so I'm going to protect you so that that message can be delivered. One of the greatest examples of this is is going to sound like kind of a, a, a bad example. But if you'll hang with me. We'll get to the end, and I hope you see that. There were a group of missionaries that went to the Aka Indians. It was Jim Elliott. You've heard of Jim Elliott, right? He, and along with some other friends, they, they had an airplane, and they would drop things down to these Indians, and they had a, a ministry that was going and growing, and then the next thing you know, all communication was cut off, and people were wondering what happened. Well, uh, the plane had landed, and the Indians had come, and they had killed Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and his friends. You say, well, where was God? Why wasn't he protecting them? Well, he, he was protecting them. You see, what he was protecting was their purpose to do what God needed to bring others to Christ. And what happened was their blood was shed as martyrs for Christ. And as a result, that tribe, and Elizabeth Elliot writes about it, she went back and she ministered to those Indians and shared with them. And one of the most kind of gripping, forgiving moments in that whole scenario was uh, she's ministering and a guy walks up with her husband's shoes on. (laughs) And she shared the gospel and ministered to him. Now, you see what happens? Was there pain? There was, but there was purpose. And God says, you know, I'm going to protect you so that my will and my purpose will be fulfilled. And the protection that God promises us is not like we see it. You know, we need heavenly eyes. We need an eternal look at things. A, a great example of this was Elisha. 
Remember Elisha? He looks out and he sees the army that's all surrounding him, and he kind of yawns and takes his morning coffee, and everything's great. And his servant comes rushing up all panicked and anxious and saying, Elisha, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And what happens is the, the servant opens his eyes and he looks out and he sees the heavenly realms of power and the army of God surrounding the enemies of Elisha and experiences a calm. You see, again, we need to move off of earthly agendas and move into the heavenly realm of what God is able to accomplish And when we see what heaven's plan and purpose can be, all of a sudden we understand that we're being protected for something that's more than what this moment holds for us. The last thing, if you look at verse 10 of Acts chapter 18, is the promise. You see, the the person of the Lord Jesus brings this promise. What better way to encourage the Apostle Paul than to tell him, to promise him, that there are souls here for you to save? What a marvelous thing to understand that as you live your life, it's not just about you, but it's about the effect and the opportunity that comes because of you and what you're doing. You might be discouraged in this moment, but be encouraged by the promise that what's happening in your life becomes an opportunity to serve someone else. Uh, There was a guy that I know, and he became one of my colleagues at school and he went through a horrific, horrific heart, heart thing. I mean, you know, the open heart, all the bypass, the whole thing, and it was just awful. And it was terrible for him. But you know what he became to me? He became the guy that said, how many donuts is that? <laughs> Are you and your wife walking at night still? You know your heart. You need to be careful about that. You know you're not as young as you used to be. Because he went through that, he encouraged me. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ helps us to understand his person and a relationship with him creates an opportunity to step out of the discouragement and understand that opportunity is before us. The Apostle Paul, he helps us to understand that we have three resources to overcome discouragement. We have the prayers of others. We have the presence of special friends and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just yesterday, we celebrated my mother's 80th birthday. Don't tell her I said she's 80. She doesn't believe it. Uh, I've always confused, you know, I've got a sister that's 63 and a mother that's still 39. That's the way that it works. And one of the things that came up, and this was an entire different group of people, So I'm in the summer earlier, like the middle of June, I'm in Kentucky. Yesterday, I'm in my own backyard with my mother's side of the family and all of my sisters and things like that. And do you know what came up? Picking blackberries. It was an experience that we had all shared together, and they brought it up again. But do you know what they brought up? Was the smells in the kitchen when the blackberries were cooking. They brought up the, the, the product that was produced, the jelly that was just divine on peanut butter. And they brought up my grandmother who was in the kitchen all the time. And she was the one that organized it all. And the, the stories of being with her and how much fun it was. And you forgot all about the, 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 the chiggers and the ticks and the uh, copperheads and all that. 
and you only remembered the, the result that was there. This morning, please know discouragement is inevitable. But the resources to overcome the discouragement is available. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for having the opportunity and the ability to sit here in this place to freely express our interest and our love in knowing you better. And thank you for each one that is here who has committed themselves to getting up on a Sunday and being in this place. We ask, Lord, that you would encourage them and help them to know who you are and what you can do. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.